Welcome to ACE Audio, the podcast that supports, educates, informs, and motivates manual therapists around the world. All right, in today's episode, we're going to flip the script a little bit, and Bo's going to interview me, Sean, about my experience and knowledge of running, long distance running, and running related injuries. As someone who's been deeply involved in this sport for a couple of decades and as someone who's had just about every possible running related injury you can get and managed to recover from them all, um, this is a topic that I know really well and love to talk about. Welcome everyone to this episode. My name's Bodine Ledden. I'm joined by Sean Brewster. We're going to be talking all things running. Sean, what's your experience in the running industry, or the running field? Yeah, right. Well, I guess... Um... It was, it was my passion there for a long time. I, I probably spent almost 20 years, I guess, being a very um, obsessed runner, like most runners get. You know, that becomes their total focus and obsession. Um, I got into it in my early 20s um, and experimented with different distances and discovered that for me, unfortunately, my preferred distance was ultra marathons, which means that you've got to go out and train for a ridiculous number of hours every week. Um, and and then spend you know a really really long time out on the trails or the roads wherever you're doing the races. So um, yeah, been been into it for a long time. Haven't competed for a while now, but for a long time that was not just a hobby of mine, but it was also a business. So I eventually, through my experience as a runner, but also as a clinician, um, got a bit of a reputation for someone who who understood running injuries, um, and then as an exercise physiologist, someone who could put together a training program. So I coached for maybe 10 or 15 years, um, a few hundred runners of, of all levels, uh, beginners right through to elite runners, um, mostly in distance running um, and mostly in trail running, um, but obviously some road runners, marathon runners and that sort of thing as well. So hobby, come obsession, come business, um, come now to something that I enjoy. Yeah, well, it seems to be a very popular sport uh, to an, uh, the point of addiction for many. Mm. Um, but I know in, in clinical practice, we tend to see a lot of running-related incidents, uh, running-related injuries, sorry. Um, what do you tend to, to put that down to? Yeah, well, I think that the word obsession is probably one of the main causes of injury as people get into it and they get into it in a big way. Um, there's not many barriers to being a runner. You know, if you've got a pair of feet and you can find some shoes that fit your feet and you, you'll find somewhere to go for a run and you can do it any day of the week, anywhere you are in the world. So it's one of those things that there's not much of a barrier to participation in. Um, it's it's a relatively cheap sport unless you get obsessed with shoes. Um, and then you can, you know, just go out and go running and, and you get the benefits fairly quickly. So I think that's part of the problem. It's not a problem in really, but it's part of the problem is that people just get into it and then go too hard too fast. And now we, we did a video and a podcast and a few things uh, a little while ago about something called tissue capacity. We talked about how the body adapts to load over time. And I think one of the major contributing factors to running injuries is poor tissue capacity in people who take up running. And so their, their trajectory of training increases too quickly, load increases too quickly, not enough recovery, um, and then they get injured. So we see a lot of tendinopathy problems. Um, the occasional muscle strain, but it's usually more overload type presentation. So tendinopathies, um, you develop bursitis and other kind of symptoms like that as a result of these overloading of tissues. Uh, and yeah, and look, I think probably the, the injuries that people most worry about are the joints, you know, like wearing out your knees and damaging meniscus and ankles and feet. 
Surprisingly, they're not a common injury. They're not as common as you might think. Uh, it's definitely much more of a soft tissue-based thing. Uh, and due to those high loads, poor recovery regimes, um, and just too much too soon. Yeah, so you mentioned some you know, shoes, tissue capacity, uh, tendinopathy, a range of different things in there. Um, what are some things that that people or runners could do to reduce the risk of, of these injuries? Yeah, well, look, there's, there's a lot of different things, and it does depend on the person where they are in their kind of running journey story. Um, but the simple things to do would be create some variety in the training. Running is very much a repetitive movement for obvious reasons. You're doing your right leg, left leg, right left leg, left leg. So it's about trying to find ways to change that up for the body. Um, and so if I was writing a training program for someone, I would typically uh, alter that training program so that each day they're doing something slightly different. And it might be on different types of terrain, different types of incline and so on and so forth. So there's, you know, trying to avoid injury is about maintaining that that balance in what you're doing. Uh, some variety is good, but also then cross training with strength training um, and using different types of resistance as part of that. And that also comes into the type of terrain, speed, incline, all of those things can be considered resistance training in some ways as well. So I think if to summarize it, that the answer is variety, not too much repetition at the same pace on the same distances on the same surfaces. So if you want to go further and be faster, the key is not to just run further and, and do it faster. <laughs> yeah. yeah, look, that, that is kind of true. Um, but at, at the same time, if I was writing a training program for somebody and they are fairly well adapted to their running um, and they want to run further at a faster speed, there's definitely some training sessions in there that will have them running faster for longer distances because that's what you have to train for. You know, specificity is important in any training program. All your principles apply to running. Specificity, overload. Um, the, the said principle, all of these different things have to be applied in the same way that you would apply them to a strength training program or anything else or a power training program. Um, running being an endurance sport, depending on what type of running you do, and that's mostly where I sort of live in the endurance space, um, the same training principles apply, absolutely. So I think it, it's key then to, to have a coach because I could see how easily, you know, someone that isn't aware of their their load modification and changes in intensity and um, specific types of, of training as well, that it, it could be quite easy to, to run into some overload if you're doing the same repetitive task over and over. So um, do you think that having having a coach would be a, a key to, to progression with, with running? I look like I think if it's the same as anything. If you want to progress faster or more efficiently, then having someone who can structure that for you is definitely useful. I've met plenty of people, and I'm, I'm actually someone who never had a running coach. I've, I've coached lots of people, but I never actually had one myself because I sort of took what I knew and then applied to it. So um, for some people, if they just want to go out and run and just want to enjoy the experience uh, and maybe over time get a little bit more efficient and do it a little easier, a coach, probably not. Not, not in every situation. Um, but there will be some people who are going like, right, look, I've done my 10K race. I did it in this amount of time. I'd love to go a bit quicker, but I'm finding that when I train more often, I'm starting to get sore. I'm not recovering well. Um, I'm really struggling to get past that, whatever time period it is. Um, that's where a coach can come in and just give you a few little tweaks to what you're doing. And sometimes it's it's simple as let's get you running less because that's often a problem. You know, the run will be, be training too often or too fast or too hard, let's get you running less for a start, go back so that we can then go forward. So, yeah, I think in a lot of cases, absolutely, but for the it depends on the person's goals. Yeah. 
we often see a lot of uh, running related injuries present to, uh, to us in clinic usually when the when the weather starts to get that little bit warmer mm-hmm. um when you know people might may have just i need to get fit i've been inside all all winter um, and they go out and start running and then they tend to come and see us in clinical practice with um you know tendinopathy or all sorts of um different pains what are some suggestions that you might give um, as far as, you know, moving someone from doing not much to, to getting to, to five kilometres? Yeah, right. You're absolutely right. There's certain times of the year and certain uh, situations that will prompt running injuries to turn up for us in clinic. Um, coming into summer, people want to drop those winter kilograms and running is a really efficient way to lose weight, lose body fat. Um, so people take it up and you're right, absolutely. They go straight at the front door onto the bitumen and there's a lot of impact forces. And, and this is why I think running gets a bit of a bad rap. It's like, it's, it's hard on your joints. It's hard on your bones. You know, it's, it, there's wear and tear that sort of happens. If that was the case, then every long distance runner that's been at it for a long period of time should have all of these degenerative, you know, damage that's sort of taking place from all that impact. In actual fact, studies show that long distance running over a period of time, over a long period of time, with appropriate loading and recovery, what we're talking about here, actually increases and improves joint um, health. It, it improves uptake of calcium into bones. It improves uh, articular cartilage health and a whole bunch of things. So, you know, there's no absolutely no scientific basis in saying that those um, impact forces could be a problem, but they often are because people will go straight at the front door on the road and they don't have that gradual increase in load. So to answer your question, what's the solution to get from zero to 5Ks? Start out really small, really low, run slower than you think you should be, run for less time than you think you should be. Um, And then when you can do that successfully for a week, let's increase that. Some people say add 10% each week. I don't think that's necessarily a hard and fast rule. Um, But if you don't have a coach, you don't have someone guiding you, 10% is a reasonable kind of number. It might be 10% of time, 10% um, of distance, whatever it might be, but just don't add 10% to everything you do because that's where we end up with those injuries. And it's always a, a little bit of a battle when, you know, you're especially when someone does present with pain and you say, do that 10% and they'll go, well, I was feeling really good. So I just decided to, to keep going and it did double, but I'm so much worse the next day. Yeah. Well, think of the last time you went to, anyone went to the gym and like the, the first session they'd done back in a while, feeling really good. I'll do a couple more reps and then you go home and you go, like, yeah, no problem. The next day you wake up and you can't reach across your body because, you know, you feel like the muscles torn off the bone. In the moment, things can feel good, but we've got to apply that common sense um, and recognise that running, even though there's not a huge amount of force generated through the tissues, there's a lot of repetitive load and that can accumulate over time and you get the same kind of soreness afterwards. Yeah, right. Mm. Before you you mentioned running on, on bitumen, how important is running surface and also uh, running shoes. Mm, yeah, good one. So, well, first of all, surface um, does come into it. And I mentioned that earlier with if I was creating a training program for someone and particularly for those runners who are going to be doing more time in their, on their legs. So long distance runners or people training to run even shorter distances, but really high speeds. Often runners now will do a big uh, training load in a week. Running surface is important. So if you're a track runner, the track surface is generally pretty springy um you're running quicker normally so you your foot your um your position over your feet is usually a little more forward so your shock absorption is really better but if you're a plotter and you're out on the road and you're running cement bitumen all day every day then that becomes an issue and so i would definitely recommend 
breaking up the week. So if you can break up a, a long run across gravel paths, even some um, grass trails, things like that. Um, for my long distance runners, I would always recommend if they were going to do a long run. And when we say long run, I mean, typically these guys are running for three hours to 10 hours in a training session. This is one run that goes for 10 hours. And so I'd, I'd mandate and say, no, you've got to do that on trail. I want you um, up and down um, inclines, declines, different surfaces, jumping over things, moving across different surfaces. If you're doing 10 hours on a road, week in, week out, you have to have really built up to that over time and your running techniques needs to be really efficient. So surfaces, variety is good. Um, you mentioned footwear. That's a rabbit hole for me. I, I can go down that and talk about that for hours. I did my um, exercise science master's research project on um, barefoot running. And it came off the back of, and anyone who's been in the running world will know, there's a book that came out in the early 2000s called Born to Run uh, that kicked off a, a bit of a revolution in the footwear um, industry. And uh, it's definitely a good book worth reading, but it, it created a bit of an extremist view in, in shoes. And so I definitely um, bought into the idea of barefoot running pretty early on. Um, and I did all the weird things that we did back then, which is buy those, you know, Vibram five finger shoes that make you look like you got gorilla feet. And I've, I would try to get around barefoot in places where I probably shouldn't have been barefoot. And it went really extreme end because for me as a health practitioner, letting the feet do what they're designed to do without any um, encumbrances, then that kind of makes sense to me. And it still does. Um, what we learned from that book and the research that came out following that, and also within that book, there's a lot of research quoted in there, was that, um, yes, it absolutely makes sense to not squash a shoe, squash a foot up into a, a shoe, and most running shoes are terrible in their design. Um, but at the same time, if you haven't adapted well to barefoot activity or a shoe that allows your foot to move like it should, then that can predispose you to injury. Um, and so it didn't almost doesn't matter what you do, like you can get injured. So I think now the pendulum swung from one extreme to the other. And, you know, following that barefoot shoe revolution, we saw um, the, the introduction of um, shoes like Hoka Hoka One, which is how you, it looks like Hoka One, but Hoka Hoka One is the name of the brand of the shoe where they have these big chunky um, kind of foam soles on them, like the exact opposite of a barefoot shoe. Um, and now it's kind of swung back the other way. Now we see this variety of footwear out there, and I definitely see the, the height of a, of a shoe sole, or the stack of the heel especially, has gotten lower over time. So we see a lot more sensible um, options for running footwear. Um, but at the same time, personally, I still am a big advocate for um, barefoot style shoes, shoes that are shaped like a foot, not like a shoe, um, shoes that are flexible, light, don't offer a lot of cushioning because they force you to run and walk without relying on cushion. Um, and that's a really important thing. Yeah, and you see that a lot in it. You go into a sports store and you've got all of these stability-based shoes with arch support, added gel cushioning, um, heel lifts. So there's there's a lot to them. Um, but I guess like anything, if that's what you're used to and you wanted to change, you would need to slowly progress out of that. And it's it's a dosage, um, you know, Absolutely. progression thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and and I actually wrote a I wrote a book <laughs> years ago, which never I never published, but it was a basically a transition guideline for someone who wanted to go from a, a a standard running shoe to someone who wants to be able to run either run barefoot or run in a shoe that does, doesn't provide any kind of support and the different exercises and things that you can do to get from A to Z. Um, it's not a simple thing. My first experience running um, barefoot was I ran in my Vibram Five Fingers on a treadmill for about 30 minutes once. Um, 
it was convenient. So that's what I did that on that particular day. And I went to bed that night with calves that were just screaming at me, exploding with cramps all night. And I couldn't walk for a couple of days. And it was a 30 minute run. And I was training for ultra marathons at the time. So I should have been able to do that fine. But that sudden change in, in the way that my foot was positioned in a shoe and the way I was striking the ground when I was running too much, even for someone well adapted to running. So um, if you're going from zero and out of, you know, wearing your work boots all day and then jumping into a pair of um, Vivo barefoots or something very flexible and trying to run, you're setting yourself up for injury. There has to be a progression, a transition period. Yeah, right. And before you, you mentioned technique as well, you know, we're not really taught how to run. How important is technique? Uh, not as important and not, at, not important unless you are trying to run like an athlete. If you want to run fast, if you want to, want to run really far or be more efficient, it becomes more important. Um, I've, <laughs> I've been passed by people that look like they're in the, in the death throes, like they shouldn't be running. They look like they're about to tear a muscle off a bone or dislocate a knee and I'm in a marathon or something and they go past me and it's soul destroying. Looking at someone running like that, you think, what am I doing wrong that they can run like that and still get past me? And so for some people, if they have adapted to, let's just call it poor technique or what would be considered poor technique in a, in a textbook, um, if they've adapted to that and trained through that, they can still be fairly efficient and run fairly well. Um, but if you're trying to shave that an extra 10% and get into that, you know, that, um, that top category of runners or, you know, try to hit a podium or something like that, then you, you want to be more efficient. And there's some very simple things you can do to kind of adjust position on your feet, the way you swing your arms, um, center of gravity, lots of different things like that, which can make a difference, particularly for high-end sprinters or for very long-distance runners where, you know, a small percentage does make up a difference over time. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting as well when, a lot of runners tend to take up the sport when they get a little bit older. Um, so do you think that at that point, that you know, it might be those subtle cues that we don't need to completely change their, their biomechanics and get everyone to run in this ideal biomechanically perfect form? It might be just be some, some subtle changes or some subtle cues that yeah, we need to give absolutely. them. One of the things I used to do a lot with coaching was technique coaching. And I'd take someone out for a session and, and have them run and then either run with them or, or, or observe their technique and sort of pick out the small little things. And it's always small adjustments. Um, most of us figured out how to run pretty early in life. And we may not be super efficient at it now, but we could do it. Like most people can run if they have to. Um, but when they try to run further, the thing that often will stand out is when they get tired, that's the key. So if you start to get fatigued, um, your body will give you all the telltale signs of what you're doing wrong knees will collapse in, hips will internally rotate, you'll have more of a lordotic spine, shoulders will slouch, you won't swing your arms as, as, um, as uh, symmetrically. And that's hard for you know, a running coach to pick it out because it's like, okay, come on, I'll coach you for this session, but I need you to run 10Ks before you get there because you need them tired first. And so that's why you know, an interesting thing to do if you are a runner is go to the finish line of a marathon or a half marathon and watch the runners come across the line because Whatever they're doing at the finish line, that's the real, that's their real technique. That's what they've been doing for a majority of that race. And that's where you kind of see all the faults. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think there's a lot that we can take away from that. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to, to add in there? Uh, just that, look, I think that running has for the longest time had a bit of a, a bad rep because of the things I was mentioning before about that you know, repetitive load on the body. 
anything can be bad for you if you do too much of it too soon. It doesn't matter what sport is, you can get injured. Um, and running, for me at least, and a lot of people um, who I know who have been in sport for a long time, it's just a great way to, you know, to stay fit, to see parts of the world that you wouldn't otherwise see. Like I've gone running over some of the most beautiful mountains and countryside that you just can't get to in a car. It's a, it's a great sport. It's a really good thing to do. It's also, I've found, um, a lot of, I've met a lot of people in the running world who tend to have a history of mental health issues, anxiety and depression, and running seems to be one of those, and also addiction, funnily enough, so um, either drug or alcohol addiction. Running tends to be one of those things that people will replace that addiction with or they'll fill the little void in them somewhere that would otherwise be you know, occupied by um, depression or anxiety. And you could look at that two ways. One is, okay, it's just a Band-Aid for a bigger problem. Or two, it's actually a coping mechanism for, for something that they don't have another solution for. And so providing that it doesn't become too much of an obsession and it, it occupies your entire mental bandwidth and you can't have a conversation without talking about running um, or that the people around you get negatively affected because of it, then I think running is a great thing to do. And it's, you know, it's healthy when done in moderation like anything else. Yeah, you take something out, you've got to replace it um, with something else. And, yeah, it's such a a time that you can spend to yourself, focus on yourself, and you get this um, great rush of those feel-good hormones. Um, We were speaking of some of our best ideas when we're exercising or running. So, absolutely. um, Yeah, it can certainly um, promote the overall sense of of enjoyment. Yeah, and I guess one other thing I'd probably mention too is that I definitely found this to be true, and I know a lot of people have as well. When you first start running, um, or if you haven't run for a while and you're trying to get back into it, there's this barrier. Like it's either a mental, a physical, cardio, respiratory, muscular, some sort of barrier that you reach where you're like, oh, I just can't, can't get through this. I can't go any further. If you keep knocking on that door often enough, um, the door starts to move a little bit further and further away each time and stick with anything long enough and it gets easier. And running is definitely one of those things. And if you can do it for long enough, you get to a point where the door just opens and there's no barrier. And one of the best feelings I've ever had is just being able to go out for a run and feel like I could go all day. The only limiting factor was how much food and water can I carry? Like literally could run all day. And that's a pretty cool feeling. Um, and But you don't get there until you are willing to kind of stick at it long enough. So persistence, like anything else. Definitely. There's some some great points there. I think there's a lot that we can take away from that. Thank you so much for your time, Sean. Pleasure. Thank you. Cheers.